Hey everybody, today is part two of my interview with Jeremy Keel. If you have not heard part one, go back and check out episode 66. There's definitely some valuable nuggets in there. Uh, oh, and FYI, this uh, was recorded back in November of 2021. Uh, the information is still just as relevant as it was then, but you'll notice uh, at the end of this interview a reference to Thanksgiving, and I, well, I didn't want to confuse anyone. Um, and remember to check out Jeremy Keel's podcast, Retirement Revealed. He gets really good guests on that show. And without further ado, let's do this. Here's part two of my interview with Jeremy. Now, speaking of social security, I spend uh, a lot of time in bars with buddies and, Excellent. and I've heard this a uh, hundred times, well, not a hundred times, but I've heard, I'm going to take my social security at 62 because I'm probably not going to live that long. And, mm -hmm. I, and I actually used to say that before I, I read the Rick Edelman book on, on, uh, sure. you know, money for life. I can't remember what it was called, but, um, I've been studying longevity and, and I'm going to be around statistically, I'm going to be around for a lot longer than I thought I was five years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what do you say to clients who, who come to you and say, hey, Jeremy, listen, um, here's my plan right now. Um, and I'm going to be collecting Social Security at 62. You know, let's uh, work out the rest of my plan. What do you tell them? Yeah. So usually it's us guys. We're two guys talking right now. Right. Usually for some reason, us guys uh, think we're going to live to get forever until you hit about 60. And then you think you're dying like next week. Like that's <laughs> yep. That's what I've observed. Uh, that's how us guys work. And uh, a lot of times we say, okay, that, that could be, maybe you will not live long enough to make up the difference for waiting on social security. Let's take a look though. I can two minutes from now give you a probability chart of how long your personal longevity is. I've probably had a hundred people say, I'm going to take social security right now because I won't live long enough to uh, make it worthwhile. And not one of them has actually looked at their own personal longevity. So before you make that decision of, I'm going to take it now because I won't live long enough, actually look up and figure out how long you might live. And it's easy, uh, easy to do that. Then a lot of the guys, especially are married. Somehow they think they're dying next week. Their wife's going to live to hundred because their <laughs> mother-in-law is still living right now and it drives them nuts. So <laughs> let's figure out how long might your wife be living? Because if there's two of you that are relying on this income, you got to make a decision that helps out the both of you. And I'll just go with a little stereotype. Let's just say on average, the husband's older, older. Let's say on average, the wife made a little bit less money. I mean, that's, you know, that's the averages. We'll go with those stereotypes. Sure. You are the one as the, as a husband that will get to the higher benefits first. Cause you're older. Your benefit is the one that would last for the widow. And mm, so it's mm -hmm. not about whether you are going to live long enough. It's whether either one of you will live long enough to make it worthwhile. And if you know a little bit about math, a little bit of probabilities, the chances of two people dying is a lot lower than the chance of just one person dying. Right. And so chances are pretty good that the, the couple, one of you will live long enough to make it worthwhile, but go ahead, figure out those uh, probabilities. We do that for our clients all the time. And uh, if you are, as the husband, deciding that it's a great idea to, to wait, we kind of encourage you, remind your wife every single month that you're doing it for them. <laughs> Love it. And I mean, it, it, it stands to reason that by waiting, I mean, an 8%, it, it's 8% per year, correct? Let's just, it's close enough to 8%. Let's just call it 8% because it's close enough. Yeah. And people are listening. They're not, you know, writing down the math, but right. between 62 and 70, it's roughly 8% growth every year. And uh, what's nice about it is Social Security is a better tax deal than taking money from your traditional accounts. 
at the worst, Social Security will be 15% tax-free. You take money out of your traditional IRA, it's all taxable. And so if you're having the choice between taking money out of your traditional accounts earlier and boosting up your Social Security for later, all you're doing is drawing down your taxable money first and you're pushing out money that will be at least partially tax-free and could even be, be more than that, just depending on some other, some other tax deals. So that's not a bad return. That's not a bad payout. Uh, a lot of people liken investing to gambling. And a lot of times we run the math and we see, hey, waiting on Social Security is like a 90% plus probability it works out. If you walk into the casino with a 90% probability of it paying out for you, you would keep walking back in. Right. It's like making your choices on Social Security could be like gambling, except you're the house <laughs> and you're the house with like 90% odds. And yeah, it's unique to everybody, but uh, go figure it out. It's pretty easy to do. Gotcha. Yeah, I. Uh, it, it's definitely. I mean, these are those questions that we that we need to be pondering and not just making assumptions. Because, like you say, a lot of us just make assumptions. You know, my my grandpa lived till uh, to eighty four. I don't think mm -hmm. I'm going to live past eighty four. And uh, you you, you, you need to do 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 your research to make informed decisions. Yeah, I hear that stuff all the time too, especially from the guys of like, yeah, grandpa made it to here, dad made it to there. Well, you've got like 25 years of medical advances on your dad. You got 50 years of medical advances on grandpa. Grandpa was in Korea. He smoked every day. Uh -huh. You're probably not doing that. Like, right. you know, take a look at it. Um, and, and chances are, I think, I like what you said earlier, you think you're going to live longer now than you thought five years ago. And that's actually true. Most people, when you ask them their life expectancy, they are wrong. And it's actually by about five years. That's kind of the average. Oh, wow. So that's one way to do it. Think how long you're going to live, add five years to it. That's kind of what the stats show. <laughs> Love it. Okay. Now, one thing that I wanted to talk about, but I don't want to open a huge can of worms here. What do you say to your clients who want to self-fund their long-term care? I love how you use the word self-fund. Uh -huh. I hate when people, the word, they call it self-insure. Let me self-insure my long-term care expenses. You, that's impossible. Insurance is spreading out the risk amongst a lot of people. Right. So if you want to take on the self-risk, if you want to take on the self-funding of your long-term care, that's could be a decision that you go through. Uh, but stop using the word self-insure. So you're <laughs> you're already. Uh, I liked you to begin with, but I like you even more now because you said <laughs> self-fund on there. Yeah, long-term care is an interesting one. It's almost like there's no logical way to go about it. Uh, that's what I've been finding. It's almost always an emotional attachment to my uncle was in a nursing facility and they had long-term care insurance and it paid for everything. So I'm going to get it. Or all my relatives had long-term care insurance and none of them used it. It was a big waste of money. So I'm not going to do it myself. So it's, it's a tough decision and it's almost always decided on whatever emotional experience you've had with it. Uh, and a lot of people say, I want to self-fund it. It's, it's tough to do. It is somewhat an insurance type of problem because it's a probability. Like you're either going in or you're not. And right. it's either costing you nothing or a lot. When you take a look at, here's what I'm gonna spend over my lifetime. I'm gonna spend you know six grand a month and it's gonna go up with inflation and here's my taxes, that kind of stuff. That's a month in, month out type of situation that you can use investments to solve. Long-term care is something you can't solve with investments. Either you set the money aside and you didn't use it because you didn't have the long-term care type of event and you kind of wasted that money yourself. Like you could have spent that money 
that's just extra money that's showing up for your grandkids and kids, you know? Uh, or you don't plan for it and nothing happens and that works out okay because uh, you spent the money and didn't have to uh, spend it on long-term care. Maybe you had some worries along with it. Or maybe you didn't plan for it and you have this huge cost and next thing you know, you're taking all kinds of stuff, uh, money out of your investments. And so it's, it's up to you as far as, we like the idea of a long-term care plan. Think about uh, who is gonna be paying for the care. Think about who is gonna be providing the care and think about where you want that care to happen. So think about, am I just gonna take on the risk and it's gonna come out of my investments or do I want like an insurance company to be, be helping out? Uh, who's gonna provide the care? Do we have kids that want to come in and help take care of us? Uh, are there two of us here and we're gonna try to take care of each other? Or do we want to have some sort of professional nursing care, uh, whatever the level is? And then where's it gonna be? Do you want to always be in your house? Sometimes you don't even get that choice. Uh, do you live right. three hours away from every one of your kids? Maybe the plan is ahead of time to move closer to one of the kids. That doesn't involve insurance, but that's just your plan and where it is you want to have the, the care. So number one is have a discussion, have a decision point of uh, who do you want to have provide the care? How do you want to pay for it? Where is it you want to live when you get to that point where you need the, the long-term care type of situation? And maybe you just say this is a probability problem and insurance is the way to solve a probability problem. And so I'm gonna go out and buy the insurance or you say, I'm gonna take the risk and I'll just, uh, it's gonna work out or it's gonna not work out. And you know, be uh, be comfortable with that, whatever decision you, you make. Interesting. I, I, I have not heard it described as, as simply as such an emotional decision. And I really think that you're right. You really take your lived experiences when you are making that decision and that has to really inform because I mean, it's so expensive. It's expensive to insure yourself and it's expensive. Yep. It, it can be catastrophically expensive if you don't insure. Yeah, it's just, a, it's a huge amount to think about. And uh, I like to, th I like to think about it, um, but I haven't figured out how I'm gonna work with it. I do know that I, you know, I was following the long-term care kind of industry about uh, 10 years ago is when I started hearing about it. and the fact that so many people were buying in at a certain premium mm -hmm. and then it skyrocketed yes yeah it, it seems like across the board there was there was there was kind of a parabolic lift and which made made it so a lot of the people ended up having to lose coverage because they couldn't continue to afford those premiums mm -hmm. pull out your your jeremy's crystal ball is that going to keep happening or has the industry kind of gotten a little bit more under control and is able to better predict what, uh, you know, the, the, with the actuaries and whatnot, what a proper premium should be for decades? Yeah. So many things to talk about there. Yeah. I'd say one is that the fact that the costs are going up for long-term care insurance just shows how much value that is inside of the insurance. The fact that costs are going up are because uh, interest rates are down, okay. which means your investments might not be there as much as you expected to fund it. It means more people are using it than were expected, which means you're more likely to use it than maybe you expected. And so it, it's tough because the the signaling of pricing going up for long-term care insurance kind of gets people skittish the way that you're describing it. Sure. And yet the logic is, oh my goodness, this is actually a more valuable product than we thought and it, it maybe ought to encourage you to explore it even and more uh, on there. And so that's that's one thing to think about. Okay. Another thing is 
some people actually do get to say, I'm just up in the air. I don't know if I should have long-term care insurance or not. And at that point, again, it's not a logical decision uh, because you have no idea until the end of time if it was a good choice or not. I like to tell people, just think about what's going to be your biggest regret. Are you going to be on your deathbed and regret that you paid 5000 a year or whatever the cost is for the last 30 years for your long-term care insurance and you never used it? Or are you going to be facing a long-term care insurance bill, uh, a long-term care bill of five grand or 10 grand a month. And oh my goodness, I wish I had the insurance because I don't want to be writing out this big check myself. I want an insurance company to help me out with it. Whichever one's more scary to you, it's kind of like, go protect that, right? If it's, if it's scarier that you wasted your money and never used it, then there you go. Don't bother getting it. If it's right. scarier that you have to write a, a big check one day for 10 grand a month for the, the care, then maybe you ought to go get the insurance. That'll help you kind of face your retirement worries a lot, a lot better on. Okay. So hopefully that helps out too. And to answer the question of, are we at the right point? Uh, I don't know, but thank goodness interest rates are low and the prices have gone up because it's hard to imagine it gets any worse, right? That, that right. all of a sudden the prices keep on going. And what I will say is our, our general encouragement is when you get a long-term care insurance contract, find a mutual type company. Because a mutual company says all of us that are insurance policy holders are in this together. So if they get things wrong and they have to raise the prices, they're probably going to do it only to the minimum to keep them in business. They don't have like a stock dividend they have to take care of. They have to take care of their policy holders. They don't want to hurt their policy holders. Mm -hmm. So they're just going to raise it to the right level just to help everybody out. Uh, or the opposite that, oh my goodness, they actually overpriced it and they have extra money. That money does not go to the stockholders. That goes to the policyholders. You get a dividend in that case. So it seems like the best of both worlds of long-term care insurance has had an interesting uh, past as an industry and things could be wildly wrong on both sides of it where the company might underprice it or overprice it. And I think you're just better protected as the policyholder if you find some mutual type of company uh, to do that. Love it. Okay. That's, that's good advice. Um, I'm going to switch gears here, like really switch gears. Let's what do, do it. You, what do you say to your clients who come in and say, Jeremy, you know, you've been managing my money for the last five years and it's been great and I appreciate it, but now I want to get into crypto. Hey, it's a, it's a personal thing for people. Uh -huh. And my thought is, and so here's where a lot of people that are into crypto really, really think into it. They like to have enough into crypto so that uh, if it goes way up, they're doing all right. Yep. If it drops down to zero, they're still doing all right. And so it doesn't matter what your investment is. If it's uh, crypto or real estate or stocks, or you borrow money to your kids, uh, as long as you're going to do all right, if it goes down to zero, then you know go go ahead, check it out. Uh, it's really tough to actually have crypto assets uh, with a financial advisor. I know that it's it's changing, right? But uh, you know if you want to go for it, uh, dabble in it and and try it out a little bit. Probably, hopefully, you aren't uh, doing any harm. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and now not to get in the weeds, but I have been kind of curious about how, from a regulatory perspective, what can you do? I mean, could, would you, if someone said, yeah, I need to get into crypto, can you as an advisor, can you say, help them get into like the GBTC fund or something like that, or mining stocks or stuff like that? Or do you have to be kind of hands off completely? 
I would say most advisors are hands off completely okay. just because they don't know as much. Right. And I'm going to say I probably fall into that camp. I, I'm not uh, too into crypto to the point where one part of being a fiduciary is knowing what you're competent at. Sure. And for me, I'm not competent at crypto, but I'll say, hey, check out these websites, check out these podcasts. Right. And, you know, go for it. Awesome. Okay. I love that. And and that's got to make people feel better. I mean, because I'm sure there are guys out there that would say, oh yeah, how much do you want to put in? And, and mm -hmm. would, so yeah, that, I, I think that should provide people comfort to, you know, know your limitations like that. And the reason I'm asking is I've just gotten obsessed with it this time around, uh, kind of like I was back in 2017 when I lost mm -hmm. my, uh, you know what, <laughs> Uh, so it's just uh, something that's kind of top of mind. So tell me about your podcast and uh, what's the name of it? What's your mission? What's your goal? How, what's the format? Uh, let's, uh, let's hear about your podcast. Yeah, the, the podcast is Retirement Revealed. We like to educate people about their money, make great financial decisions. Our tagline is if you know more about your money, you will feel better about your money and you will make better money decisions. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to help people make those decisions. And we're focused strictly on people that are retiring in the next few years. Let's call it, you know, five years, 10 years and learning all about the different aspects because you get to retire once. And a lot of times you get just the one shot at it, one shot at a lot of your decisions. Let's make sure you're just as educated as some of these pension folks and social security folks and investment folks, maybe even more educated because, hey, it's your money and it's, it's, more important to you than it is to your service providers. Well, Jeremy, um, like I said, I'm a fan of your podcast. I I could sit here and I, I mean, I could sit here and talk to you for another two hours, um, but I appreciate your time on this. I'm going to put a link to your podcast and your website uh, in the show notes so that people can learn more about you. But I just want to encourage people, you know, if, if you have kind of been afraid of the whole financial advisor thing, or if you're a control freak like me, consider talking to Jeremy because like he said, you know, if you spend $300 an hour, how, how did you put that? It's like the, the worst you can do is you're out $300. Yeah. It's just a matter of when you're trying to find a financial advisor, if you're a do-it-yourselfer, a lot of do-it-yourselfers or the, the perception of advisors of do-it-yourselfers is like, hey, we're we're just completely apart. We'll never talk. Right. And there's a huge amount of people that are do-it-yourselfers for investing, but not do-it-yourselfers for financial planning, for tax planning, for retirement planning. Right. And it seems like there's more um, people that really get into the, the real estate and the crypto and the investing and the dividends and income investing, all that kind of stuff. There could be huge value sitting there and, oh my goodness, I never retired before. How do I sign up for Social Security? What do I do with my health insurance? How do I sign up for Medicare? When do I take my pension? How do I weigh these different choices? What's the tax planning decisions of this year versus next year versus the future? I mean, it's just amazing. And you ought to be getting a lot more value from an advisor than whatever it is that you're paying them for. And so a, a great first step is to talk to an hourly financial planner. And there are specific financial planners that only do hourly. Uh, there's other folks like myself that uh, say, hey, we're here to help you. And if you want us to manage your money, we'll do that as well. And if you're someone that just needs the advice, pay you by the, you know, pay you by the hour, we're here for you too. Love it. Jeremy, thanks so much for joining me. This was, this was great. And uh, have, a, have an awesome Thanksgiving. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. Uh, same to you. Nothing in this podcast is meant to be financial, legal, or tax advice. Though there's some kick-ass information here, it's for informational purposes only. Take control of your retirement planning, but get professional counsel if you need tax, legal, or financial advice. 
For more content like this, join my mailing list at rogueretirementlounge.com. And if you have questions about retirement investing, entrepreneurship, business, or anything else, my email address is matt at rogueretirementlounge.com. 